Today is Sunday, January 28th, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. I'm Evan Valenti. Episode 556 features the Boston Globe's Ethan Fuller, and today's show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers receive $150 in bonus bets with any $5 bet. Welcome in, everybody. Evan Valenti solo here today here on Celtic Speed here on a Sunday. And I don't know where everybody else is, but here in the Berkshires, it's uh, like three seasons in one day right now. It's rain, then sleet, and now it's snowing like crazy. Uh, I, I know this particular end of the uh, the U.S. is supposed to get some sort of winter storm this weekend. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, par for the course here uh, in January. No Adam Kaufman today. Kaufman has a birthday. So happy birthday, Adam, from us here on Celtic Speed. Of course, all the fans around the world wishing Adam also had birthday. Gave him the, gave him the show off. You know, gave him a little bit of a rest and uh, let him enjoy his birthday uh, with all the football going on today. Of course, his family, everything like that. But with that, we bring on a brand new guest here on this show from the Boston Globe. You've seen his threads all over the place. One of my favorite tape heads on the internet. It's Ethan Fuller. Ethan, welcome to Celtic Speed. How you doing, buddy? Thank you, Evan. I'm doing really well. I'm in Boston. It hasn't been, instead of the three seasons in one, it's turned into one cold rain every day season, which yeah. is not ideal, but that's okay. It's been a really interesting stretch for the Celtics, and I'm excited to talk about it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're going to get into that. And I, I got to tell you, like, you tape heads out there, like, they keep us all, us general hot takey people, very grounded. And I don't consider myself a hot takey person anymore. I, I try to be as level-headed as humanly possible. I'm not trying to fire off weird things. I don't make grand conclusions based off five minutes of a game. Like, I don't do that. But I just want to take the time, because it is time-consuming to sit there after games like you do and put these threads together of the entire game. Like, it's – how long does it take you to put these threads together? Because it must take hours. Oh, it – I have gotten a lot better at it through practice. Um, this year definitely is the fastest I can do it now, but I would say if I, if I'm going to go through a full good game and there's no like garbage time that I skip at the end, it probably takes me three to four hours if I can, if I really lock in and, and like cut out all distractions and everything else. Um, which is better for me. Like th- that's usually after a game and I don't have anything to do in the morning. That'll be my morning. It's just like. Let's just go through this game and see what happens. It's crunch, yeah, it's crunch some tape. And that's yeah. why, like, again, for those of us that watch in real time and then just it, it's gone, it's, it's, it's out of our vision, it's out of our brains, it's out of our ears. Uh, it's, it's very, very, very cool to have that tool for us the next day. So thank you very much thank for you. that, for putting that together. And I don't know if you've had the opportunity to review the last night shellacking at the hands of the LA Clippers. Uh, Celtics go down 115-96. Uh, second home loss of the season. We, you know, like since the last time we talked, the Celtics took care of the Mavericks. They took care of the Heat. We'll get to some of that later on in the show. Figured coming off last night, very important game. Clippers. Uh, I think the entire month of January. I think it's the last 15 games in the NBA. But the NBA's most efficient offense. They showed that last night at the TD Garden. Again, blowing out the Celtics in a way. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but it was not really close. I mean, it was, at the end of the first quarter, there was a five-point game. And then after that, it was just kind of a nightmare. Boston just couldn't find their footing. 
as you're going back and looking at what happened last night, how hard is it for you to take away anything? Because Boston just couldn't get anything to fall, and it clearly affected them on both ends of the floor. Yeah, it uh, again, it is a very long season. Uh, Boston is missing Christoph Porzingis for this game, and not that he is an excuse for the way this result happened, but he, he is a very important piece to the team, as we've seen recently. Um, and I think if he had played, a lot would have changed. Not that they would have won the game or it would have looked that much different, but it was really interesting. I so watched the game, and then this morning before we jumped on, I did kind of a speed watch of the middle two quarters where it really got bad. Um, and like you said, this is not a sound the alarm type of Celtics have been exposed game. There definitely are things that I took away as meaningful and want to see change in future games. But again, the Clippers are a really good team. As you mentioned, they, uh, if I had my numbers written down right, are 22 and four since December 1st, best offense in that span, top 10 defense in that span. I thought the defense looked really good from them also last night. Um, like they're really good. It's, it is okay in the regular season to have a dud against a really good team. It happens sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's interesting when you look at the Clippers. Like, let's just go from a Celtics offense, Clippers defense standpoint. There aren't many teams in the NBA that can frustrate the Celtics, especially the perimeter like like that Clippers team can. Mm-hmm. They have arguably the best two way player. I mean, I, you probably give the Draymond, but like I think Kawhi is up there for best two way player since you know Scottie Pippen. Like, I just think those two guys are in a class of their own. Um, and, and like Paul George is no slouch either. Like th- this is a, a team that matches up with the Celtics pretty well, right? With those two guys on the perimeter. I know they were missing some bigs last night as well. Zubac didn't play last night, but still at that point, like Harden, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, Terrence Mann on the offensive rebounds. Like that's a team that gives Boston a little bit of trouble just by the way that they're, you know, constructed. Then Ty Lue, of course, mm-hmm. pulling all the strings, making everything happen. Like that's a really good basketball team. I think a lot of us, maybe underestimated how good that team could be when they made the Harden trade. They're clearly way different. So, yeah, you look at that. You look at what happened last night, and we'll get into some of the new shit in a minute. But you look at that and you say, all right, yeah, okay. Defensively, that team did something to Boston. No question. But at the same time, how many other teams is Boston going to see that can do similar things? Like the pressure on the perimeter, I think, was the most important thing. How how easily – uh, the Clippers screwed up everything Boston wanted to do just by applying a little bit of pressure on the perimeter. How much do you take away from that in terms of like how other teams can use that tape against Boston later on in the line to try and confuse them similarly? Yeah, I think that is a really good question to start with. For me, what makes the Clippers unique, and this goes, leads into the pressure on the perimeter, is they have size and physicality throughout their lineup. Um, and it was really interesting to contrast that against the Heat game where the Heat perimeter players are just not as physically strong as the Celtics drivers. Uh, they don't defend nearly as well as the Clippers do on the ball. And so you had between Terrence Mann, uh, Kawhi and Paul George, James Harden, to his credit, I thought played some pretty good defense last night, um, especially given the rep that James Harden has as a defender. And so you have all those guys, even like Amir Coffey down the lineup, uh, Daniel Tice being able to kind of switch a little bit and like hold his own on the perimeter. Mason Plumlee, which kind of surprised me. I guess I had kind of lost my respect for Mason Plumlee and what he could do on defense. He was really good. So you have all these different options for how you can defend on the ball as the Clippers, whether it's Kawhi being like really physical and strong point of attack, Terrence Mann just being a pest. Um, the one where he, I forget what part of the game this was, where he kind of 
was pressuring Jason Tatum coming around a screen and drew Tatum into the charge. That was a really great play uh, again on, on both players on the Clippers. And so to what your question was initially, I don't think it is going to be a concern for many other teams that are facing the Celtics to see that level of physicality and pressure at the same time, we need to increasingly look at the Clippers as like, this is a team they could see in the finals, like add them to the Timberwolves and the Nuggets and like whatever your S tier of Western conference contenders are like the Clippers are right in there for a reason. And so in that way, like you definitely should take note because this is a team you could see again in the playoffs, but as far as long-term, like, do we need to worry about this being an every night thing? I don't think so. I just think the Clippers are that good. Yeah. And, and to that point too, like they apply the pressure to the perimeter and that's kind of exactly what you got Chris Stapp's Porzingis for, right. To help yeah. relieve some of that pressure mm-hmm. on the perimeter and, and make it less centric on, on shooting threes. This is something that Brad Stevens talked about in the off season, right before they acquired Porzingis. I've been referencing this a lot. I know Dan Greenberg has been referencing this a lot as well. They were too easy to guard. Brad said that, I think, to Mark D'Amico. I think he said that to Mark. They were too easy to guard last year because they had too many guys that were reliant on being perimeter players. They don't have anybody in the low post that can really take pressure off that. So, you know, not having Porzingis last night, I think that's the biggest reason why they got him. You saw that last night. For someone to, you know, catch the ball, the nail, or catch the ball in the post and, and do something with it. Like, they've been able to attack mismatches all year with Porzingis. He's been kind of like the queen of the chessboard for them. And, like, look, they beat the Clippers without him in the first game back in December. Um, you know, they can clearly do it without him, but, like, it's a lot harder. And for me, like, you look at the last time they lost a game like this, right? They lost to the Bucks on TNT. They shot – 26% from three. They shot 37% from the field. The Bucks shot the hell out of it in that game. But if you look mm-hmm. at the, what led up to that game, Boston was playing like their sixth game in seven nights. They were clearly tired. It was what we call a schedule loss. Missoula pulled all the starters after halftime. Like it was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't working. This isn't happening. Yeah. Let's try and, and let's, let's, let's just end this one. Let's move on to the next game and let's just burn this tape and, and never look at it again. This is a little bit different, I think, because Boston, you can't make the rest, you know, uh, complaint, right? They played Miami not too long ago, but the Stars didn't really play that much at the end of the game. Got to be able to rest everybody up. I know Porzingis, you know, got hurt in the middle of that game, didn't play last night. Doesn't matter to me. It's more about getting him to the finish line. Hmm. But, like, in the same time, you can't say the Clippers shot the hell out of it either because they – along with Boston, missed 33s last night. This could have been a lot worse. Is there anything to take away from the fact that the Clippers weren't totally high octane last night in terms of what they normally do? Again, this is the most efficient offense in basketball since the start of, the, I think, this month, and it could be even further than that. And anything to take away from the defensive side of the ball, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I think, well, first, going back to what you said about Porzingis, because I just wanted to say I agree with you, um, especially just – what the Celtics can do with just dumping the ball inside to him and him being seven, three and able to shoot over guys like that would have come in handy in this game just to get a couple of those kind of gimme buckets. Um, but it is what it is. And like Porzingis is injury prone. Like you're going to have these games where you don't have him. Um, but to the offense's point, I did not think the, or to the defense's point, I didn't think the defense was that bad. I actually thought when I rewatched this, it was better than I initially saw when I was watching the game. I think there were moments 
where the offense was really struggling, like during the 21-0 run is when I think the defense also started to cave. And this is something that Celtics talked about after the game was like, it was frustrating not being able to buy a bucket. And I think that translated to some defensive miscues. But other than that, like it was, it was pretty solid. Um, I thought they did for the most part, a pretty good job matching the Clippers level of physicality. Cause again, like Kawhi, Paul George, like those are guys who can play really strong and physically on offense. I thought they mostly did a good job handling that. And yeah, to give up one fifteen at the end of the day to the most efficient offenses it's something you'll live with. It, again, like there were moments where I thought it was really solid. The first half, I thought the defense was pretty good. I would say even very good. The third quarter was brutal at times. Pritchard got picked on a little bit by Kawhi. Um, there were moments where Horford kind of got caught in no man's land on some of those hard pick and rolls. And that is going to happen when you're kind of frustrated that you can't really buy a bucket. I think you're going to lose focus in some aspects. But overall, yeah, like I wouldn't, stress out about the defensive performance against a really, really good offense. I think there were still bright spots. Can I I tell you one of the things I liked about that? Mm -hmm. They were struggling a lot. You could see in their body language that it was really starting to get to them. One of the things I liked, and and I was watching um, the Clippers version of the broadcast and Mike Fratello, uh, you know, on that broadcast, mentioned this a lot. And again, credit the Clippers for, stopping a lot of these, but Boston would try to push off of makes to try and get easy bu- buckets to try and like, cause again, they took so many threes and I know people get like, so up in arms about how many threes this team takes. It's just what they're going to do. There's nothing you can do about it. They're going to keep shooting them. But one of the things I did like was, Hey, let's try and like steal a couple in transition. Let's try and steal a couple after makes and, and just, just watch the ball go through the net a couple of times. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, coach Fratello would, would talk on the broadcast about how, you know, the, the Clippers need to do a better job of getting back in transition. And throughout the game, the Clippers did a, a much better job as the game went on to try and, and at least deter Boston from trying to get to the rim, you know, in those, you know, after make opportunities. I mean, it, it, there was a couple of times where, you know, guys got blocked. I think Tice had a really loud block after uh, yeah. the basket. I know Kawhi yeah. had one as well. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not like Boston didn't try a few things to try and get things in their favor, you know. And the other thing that I'll also point out, Maybe you saw us on the rewatch too. In the first half, they missed a bunch of open ones too. Like they they forced a few, I think, later in the first half because it was yeah. clearly getting frustrating. And then the third quarter, as you said, wheels fell off and guys were just just frustrated, just trying to do anything they can to try and just chuck up a shot and see if it'll go in. But I thought they just missed some open opportunities in the first half, and it really let them affect them. Um, but, like, at least, again, my my point is, and maybe you, you saw us in the rewatch, they tried some stuff. At least they tried to to push the pace and and, and change the tempo of the game. Just nothing worked. Nothing really worked. Yes. Because yeah. Because to the Clippers for being, you know, again, aware that Boston was going to try and steal points in transition and getting back and, and playing good defense. I mean, hell, it was a great game. Yes. Yeah, that that is exactly the point that I, I would also make is, yes, the Celtics do shoot a lot of threes. That is not going to change. And yes, maybe there were some moments, as you said, late in the first half where I think, I think Drew Holiday settled for some pull-up threes a little too quickly in particular. But again, like a lot of the threes were pretty open, pretty within the rhythm of the offense. They missed their first 10. A lot of those were good looks. That happens. And then in the third, even in the third quarter, I would say like they didn't just settle for threes and, and collapse. Like they tried getting to the rim. They, 
And as you said, they they tried to really push in transition. They tried to have guys like Derek White. Derek White, again, like this is his worst offensive performance of the season. But he tried he tried to drive the basketball, which he's done very well a lot of this year. It just like they played really good defense and stopped him. And and that, that mid range game too, like that's usually the bread and butter for Derek White. Those little yep. mid range floaters where he gets guys kind of off balance and he just kind of. You know, his little push shot from about, yeah. you know, eight to 10 feet, even that wasn't falling less. Like nothing was falling less. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can say, yes, nothing was falling because the Clippers game planned really well and the Celtics now need to make adjustments for whenever they play again. But it's like, there's no, there was no exposing the Celtics as like a fraudulent offense or anything. Like they just, the, the Clippers played really well and the Celtics missed shots that they needed to make. And so, I'm not, as you said, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be stressed long term over the outcome of this game. It was just a well, it was a well played game by one team, and the other team got frustrated because they couldn't really do a whole lot. Yeah, and that's a that's a talented Clippers team that's going to probably be involved deep into the playoff run. I mean, how far they get, we'll see. Depends on matchups. Like if they just draw Denver, then good luck to you. You know, if they draw KC, I think they'll do a little bit better because of the inexperience of Oklahoma City. That's a that's a, there's that's a tough team, proven team, um, and you know as long as those guys can all make it healthy to the finish line, it's not like they're going to not be heard from in the Western Conference playoff picture. But like again, if you look at the last point, I kind of want to make at, at this game, and it will carry a little bit over into the Miami conversation as well because there's some some stuff we learned from that game as as well. If this team is going to be such or so reliant on shooting mm-hmm. jump shots. I think if you're Joe Mazzulla and the rest of the coaching staff, the onus on being a good defensive team has to be of of the utmost importance because as you and I just watched last night, as everybody watched last night and you've been watching basketball forever, sometimes jump shots don't go in. They just don't for whatever reason. doesn't matter how well you're shooting the ball the day before. doesn't matter. That's basketball. If you're going to be so reliant on shooting the jump shot, I would say being an upper echelon defensive team goes hand in hand with that if you're going to try and win a title. And this team, with the, the pieces that they have, are a very good defensive team. And again, last night, it's not like the Clippers shot the ball outrageously well, right? It's not like the Miami game the other night where Miami shot the ball really well. Boston was just on a different planet shooting the basketball yeah. than them. And that's just, you're just going to have to dip your cap and, and say, see you later. But if you're going to be a team that relies on jump shots, that defense has got to be there every single game. And I think last night was just a, a huge indicator of that particular that particular realm. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. And then I think the other lasting take from last night that I have, and it, again going back to playing against physicality and strength throughout a lineup, that is the one thing. Not again, not that it's a concern area or a glaring red flag. I do think it is something that they need to think about and Joe Mazzulli needs to think about more about what ways he's going to try and attack a defense like that because similarly and I know they split with the Timberwolves but they like the Timberwolves were a team that was physical throughout the lineup with especially led by Jaden McDaniels who I think is an amazing basketball player and the first game especially against the Timberwolves that was kind of challenging for them and even though both teams were close like the Celtics struggled at times Um, and you're going to see defenses like that especially I think of Miami last year like Miami did a great job playing physical throughout the lineup last year. And so just kind of thinking about ways that you can be prepared for that when playoff time comes, because also that is just the nature of the playoffs is like 
you are going to get physical and you're going to be more aggressive on defense just because one, you're going to be allowed to play that way in the playoffs and, and you're playing for a title at that point. And so not again, I'm not worried by how the Celtics played against physicality last night, but it is something that they should think more about how they're going to approach playing like that. Cause it will matter eventually. Yeah, I totally agree. Quick break. Tell you today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL season is almost over. We're doing this particular show on Championship Sunday. That means between today and the last game of the season, not a lot of time for you to get involved, but this is the best time to get involved with FanDuel, America's number one sportsman, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed win or lose when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets win or lose, folks. And I talk about the app all the time because the app makes life so easy, so simple. You can I, I place wagers when I'm walking my dog. Like that's how easy it is. Because I'll I will forget all the time what I need to do, what I need to get you know ready for. And then I'll be on my walk and I'll be listening to some other podcast that has a FanDuel read and I'll be like, oh no, I have to get it on that. So just to tell you, the app makes it super, super simple. And there's so many things to gamble on at this point, live same game parlays. There's new explore. The new explore tab reveals so many things that you haven't even thought about yet in terms of, of, of placing a, a bet or a wager. The parlay hub is the best way to find popular parlays. As we look at, and there's a like literally a tab. This is parlay hub. It's fantastic. But as you're looking, we're going to go NBA because we're, you know, with one game left in the uh, NFL regular season, we're going to look at this. And despite the fact that it seems to be, you know, raining on the Celtics parade all the time. They're still the odds-on favorite by quite a bit to win the NBA championship, plus 310 from the NBA title. Nuggets plus 440, Bucks plus 500, Clippers plus 700, uh, Sixers plus 1100. There's your top five. In terms of the NBA Finals matchup, you can gamble on that too. Celtics-Nuggets plus 550, pretty good. I think we're gonna, we'll get a rematch of last night's game. Plus 850, Celtics and Clippers. Again, not bad odds, if you ask me, coming here in January. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston, 150 bucks in bonus bets, and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star, the Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is now in trouble bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restriction and supply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or visit fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 100NextStep or text NextStep to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org or chat in Connecticut and slash chat Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-77-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Evan Valenti, Ethan Fuller, the Boston Globe, with us here on Celtics Media. And happy birthday, Adam Kaufman. It's birthday present. It's a day off from this show. Uh, but moving on, just got done with the Clippers game. Again, 
things can take from last night. Clippers play a super aggressive physical style of defense. That might trip up Boston later. Boston team that relies on jump shots. Uh, might want to, you know, again, be more aware and more focused on the defensive end if they're going to do that all season long. They've been good on defense. They're top two in both. So, you know, at this point, what are we really complaining about? But I do want to focus on the Miami game because that also happened between the last time we we talked on this show. And that was a much more fun game to watch. <laughs> yeah. That was I'll be a, that honest was with you, I, that game was cathartic for me, right? Like when you blow out a team that sends you home on their own floor by the amount and by the way Boston did it, like that's just fun. That's a great experience for everybody. But at the same time, with the game we just watched, like how much can you actually take away from one game where everything that Boston shot went in the basket? Well, I think I think you can still take away a good amount. Um, one the fact that they have proven they can have nights like this is always great to see where, where like when it clicks for a team collectively, it, it is pretty unstoppable. I mean, you drop 143 on what is historically a very tough team to play. That's, that's going to feel good. The way that they did it too. Um, this is really what I took away when I rewatched this game. The fact that they found what worked against the heat and then just over and over, just like pummeled the heat with the, dumps down low to Chris Haps Porzingis, the pick and pop game with Porzingis, um, the post-ups with Tatum, Tatum driving on whatever side advantages he had. Like they went at these same tactics relentlessly and he didn't have an answer. And I'm glad that Tatum and Brown and like when you have these criticisms about their shot selection, sometimes we didn't see that at all in this game because they were like, oh, this is working. I'm just going to keep hitting it over and over until we're up by 30 points. And so that was really that was really good to see. I thought they very differently from the Clippers game. The Celtics had the size advantage in most of this lineup, especially even like Porzingis over Bam, um, and they just they crushed that. Like they, it was Tatum driving on Tyler Hero. It was Peyton Pritchard driving on Duncan Robinson. It, like I guess that's not a size advantage, but the physical strength advantage is with Pritchard there, and he wasn't afraid. Just all of these guys being so ready to attack is is really what you want to see out of this offense. And even if that still is like attack and kicking to other threes, like just breaking down that initial defensive structure is huge. And so it was, it was cool to see them commit to that for the entire game for sure. Yeah. And that's the thing about playoff games and, you know, you've watched a playoff series and that's what happens. Really good coaches and really good playoff teams. If they see a weakness, they're just going to hammer it. I mean, how many times last year did we see Jimmy Butler, call up anybody he wanted to in a screen to get the switch that he wanted and just attack yeah. that screen. I mean, yeah. that's exactly – because, again, it's just uh, – doesn't matter how, how the points happen, just as the points happen. No, There's no – you know, you don't get extra points for style points or anything like that. It's just we got to score to survive. And Jimmy Butler over and over and over again, whether it was Grant Williams or Peyton Pritchard or whoever, would just put guys in the torture chamber and go to work. And to do it against that team, I agree, was, is, is really interesting – Especially because Miami, like, look, I think at this point everybody has the same take of Eric Spolster is the best coach in the league just because of the, the amount of, of wins he gets out of a, a lineup that doesn't look like it's got a lot of wins in it, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me like the zone that Miami confused Boston with last year had no shot against the team this year, especially teams going to hit jump shots like that. I mean, if you put – again, the, the, the key to every zone is trying to get the ball – in the weak spot of the zone. And depending on what you're playing, it's going to have different weak spots. Boston got routinely in the middle 
of that Miami zone and passed out of it, made Miami react to things and then swung it one more time. And all of a sudden there's a guy with wide open jump shot. Like there was a point in which like Horford got the ball in the middle of the zone, made a great read to Peyton Pritchard, made a great cut around him to the left on the left baseline. And, and it's like, he walked into what is a practice jump shot for him. And they had that all night. Those type of jump shots of like, basically walking into with nobody near them or if there's somebody near them, they don't even have a hand up like sort of shots where you're like, Oh my goodness, this is exactly what you're looking for. This sort of a dominant win against a team that has been a pain in the ass for Boston for the past four or five years. And again, a team that can frustrate Boston, especially with all the defensive looks they can throw at them. Boston looked prepared and ready for those. And so like, again, everything went in, right? Everything looks great when everything goes in. But for me, and I've been saying this for months now, because everybody has the same take of like, well, who cares about the regular season? It doesn't matter what they do now. It matters what they do in the playoffs. And I say, okay, kind of. I care about the process. I care about how they execute. Because if they show me now that they can do stuff a little bit differently, I'll have a little bit more faith in them as we get towards the playoffs, right? I thought their process against Miami was spectacular offensively. I thought they picked Miami apart, as we talked about in the previous segment. They were way more physical than Miami. They big-boyed Miami all night, like whether it was Jason Tatum, whether it was Jalen Brown, bullying guys in the post. I mean, Porzingis killed them. I love seeing that. The physicality, Miami couldn't match that. And like as we, again, try to take away something from a 30-point blowout, again, I thought the process was really good. I thought they were more they were more physical than Miami from the jump, and that makes me excited about what I think is a, a, a eventual rematch. Like I've been saying this for months. The Boston Celtics are probably going to draw the Miami Heat in the first round. I'm just telling you right now. I think it's going to happen. I've been saying this for a while. I thought it would happen later in the playoffs, but at this point I'm pretty focused in on you're going to get Miami at some point, and to have last night's game in your back pocket be like, look, we can really bully this team. We can blow this team out. This shouldn't be an issue this year. Like that's the one, the couple of things that I took away. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. One of the things that I have long been probably my most consistent criticism of the Celtics spanning multiple head coaching tenures is that I thought this team was way too inconsistent with how they spaced the floor and cut around their best players and gave their best players options, like whether it was Tatum now out of the post or or whatever situation you want to think of. I thought that game, they did such a good job. You mentioned the Peyton Pritchard cut in space through the zone. I think Drew Holiday in general, uh, quietly one of the most important things that he has given to the Celtics team is his ability to cut and move around the floor. Um, I thought he did a great job in that game. In general, again, like you said, they they were just ready for the zone, also in the way that they would kind of throw it to Chris Stapps Porzingis on the short roll, and he'd be in like the elbow free throw line area, and maybe he's like taking a bump and then hitting the elbow jumper that he did a couple times. Or from there, you're collapsing the defense and he's throwing it out to the perimeter and then you're swinging the ball like you talked about. Um, they just, they knew where they needed to go and they didn't, like, they just didn't waste time and they and they got it done and they were so locked in the entire game. It was really, really cool to see that. And I agree, like, yes, they, I think even whether or not you, wherever you believe the heat seating is going to be, like, they've earned the benefit of the doubt and, like, you're just going to have to face them in the playoffs. Even last year, they were the eighth seed and you ended up facing them in the conference finals. So you need to be ready for that. And it was cool to see 
it was cool to see them just be so prepared for the challenge. Um, I, th- I just think it's really great. And the fact that everyone got involved, it seemed like everyone had a really good game. Derek White, even by Derek White standards, I thought this was a really, really good game from, from him. Um, just the way he attacks too off the drives. And it, it was just cool to see like everyone got their chance to shine in different ways. Lou Cornette, I thought had, again, like he continues this, this positive stretch. I thought Lou Cornette was really, really good in this game. Um, and again, I know the Heat were missing Jaime Jaquez. They were missing Kevin Love. And I, those are valuable rotation pieces for them. But the fact that their core was there and the Celtics kind of eviscerated it is a good sign for them for sure. Yeah. The Jaime Jaquez stuff is undeniable at this point. He's been <laughs> for them. I mean, it's, it's like one of those things where like, Draft Twitter was all over the. I, Jaime Hawkes is really good. Like once people realize he's awesome, and just because he's older, people dismiss him. Like you just haven't been watching UCLA basketball, and then you, you watched him UCLA, and you're like, you know, some people are like, oh man, you know, is he a, a, a late twenty steal? And I'm like, if you watch the game, like he ain't making it to twenty, guys. Like he ain't getting that far. And then yeah. he ends up in Miami. You're like, this makes the most sense ever. Like the Miami Heat, of course, they're gonna get a guy that that you could play. Right away, like you just flop him on an NBA floor and he's going to figure it out because he's played in a lot of games, smart player, knows how to do, you know, knows how to cut, move out the basketball, have the basketball on his hands, orchestrate it. Like there's all the stuff you want him to do. And mm-hmm. yes, that having that piece is valuable for Miami. He's got some size to him. Um, you know, he's got some inexperience, obviously, but I mean, I don't think he's going to make up 30 points. I, I think he's a way more important piece than Kevin Love. Like I think Kevin Love, on the perimeter against Boston, it's going to be barbecue chicken for them. But uh, that's not a full strength Miami team. But at the same point, like it's again good to exercise some of the demons um, against that yeah. team. And I think Boston, you know, you can have that in your back pocket. Like you're going to be able to go to things that worked in that game. And I, I don't think they're as daunting as they were before because, again, I think the, the physicality stuff. Now we're going to say all this stuff. And then Jimmy Butler's going to turn into a different person. I know. He didn't. It's, we're in classic Jimmy Butler mode where he just like chills during most of the regular season. And then you get to the end of February and you're like, okay, he's starting to heat up a little bit. And then he just does his thing in the playoffs. Like Jimmy Butler did not make a statement in that game, obviously. But, but we know at this point that doesn't matter because he can turn it on whenever he wants. What's crazy is they're like an offensive, they're a terrible offensive team. Like during the, like last year, I, Last year was so annoying, and like all of like I know some Miami Heat people listen to this podcast, so shout out to you guys. Um, what's so annoying about Miami is like they're like 28th in offense, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a problem. They're 28th in offense, and all of a sudden, everybody's hitting shots. You know, uh, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, <laughs> Caleb Martin, like all these guys are just yeah. burying shots. And you're like, where has this been? For six months, where have these guys been? Like, what is this? It's a totally different team. So, like, as we sit here and say, like, oh, that was awesome. They could take this, this, and that. It's like, that's the team you're going to see later is not that team. Like, they're just not. And the yeah. Terry Rozier thing, right? Like, go out and get Terry Rozier. Obviously, it's going to take some time. And, again, we're a little bit more familiar with Terry than most people. Like, what he can do, what he's capable of. Um, the 0 for 10 in Game 7 notwithstanding here. Terry's a good player, and he's going to be actually really important for them as as he gets more comfortable for them. I still worry Absolutely. a little bit about the defensive stuff. But he's going to be able to attack mismatches differently than Kyle Lowry did. I don't, And I think people – again, Kyle Lowry also does stuff in, in the playoffs that just, like, doesn't happen normally. 
Uh, he's he's been a pain in the ass for for again for years, whether it's on Toronto or on Miami, doesn't matter. He was a pain either way. Um, but replacing him with a different speed, I think, is going to make Miami very interesting. And again, as much as we want to say, oh, this was great, like when they play in in, in the playoffs, that's a totally different team. And I, I and it still scares me to this day. Ethan still scares yeah. me. No, I get it. And, and that was, I mean, that was literally his debut game with the Heat. And and even in that, like. Rozier didn't play a super great game, but I think you still saw what he can do, like coming off the pick and rolls and just that first step when he turns the corner on a screen is ridiculous. Like between the long strides that he has, the natural quickness, um, the his ability to get up and like have airtime and finish around the rim. He and Bam, I think, are gonna be a really, really good duo. And we saw flashes of that in that game. Bam was still pretty good in that game. And I know like the Celtics offense just kind of overwhelmed, but the heat, you said this earlier in the show, like they, they played pretty well on offense and they had their moments where like Tyler hero kind of caught fire from three and he caught the Celtics kind of sagging back a little bit and made them pay. So there was still like a lot for the heat to build on as they try and figure out how the pieces now fit with Rozier. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really preaching to heat fans here, but like I wouldn't get discouraged by this game too much either because it is going to take time for Rozier to fit in, but the vision is clearly there where you're kind of buying that Spo just makes everyone fit in a team scheme defensively. And that will just naturally one day include Rozier. And then you also have these kind of advantages that he brings on offense that Lowry just didn't. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm ready for the Terry Rozier 38 point game in a game six. It's, yeah. Seven, like, it's, I'm yeah. Already ready. like I already <laughs> have a tequila bought for game seven. It's going to be uh, a mess, but uh We'll wrap up with a couple of things here, just as, you know, some newsworthy things. Jason Tatum makes another all-star team. Shocker there. You know, starting, not a shocker. Guy's one of the top ten players in the league. Where he falls in the pantheon, you can pick wherever you want to have him. I'm not going to sit here and debate it with people. I think Jason Tatum's awesome. I think he's been his best um, all-around playmaker that he's ever been. Uh, defensively, he's still doing amazing stuff. Um, I think it places him above some other guys. He's not having the best shooting year. We all know this, but starting to come back to earth a little bit, which should be scary for some people. Um, he's amazing. And I, I don't, it doesn't get lost on me like him playing in these all star games because the opportunity for him to go talk about recruit, but just like have an impact on the national stage is always important for me when you're talking about the upper echelon guys. And I would prefer this year if Jalen and Chase were on the same team, so they have to go against each other and battle like that. As much that was was fun to watch. Um, I do think they'll get Jalen Brown, but I think that's it. I think they only get two All Stars. I don't think Derek White's going to make it. I think if you had to make an argument for anybody, anybody at this point, Porzingis actually would get my vote over Derek White. Um, but I don't think Porzingis is going to make it either. I think it's just two guys who got a problem with that. I don't have a major problem. I was actually I was looking at the votes for media and fans before this. And I know reserves is different with head coaches choosing. Um, Porzingis was like right on the cusp for the front court. And so I think I could see maybe head coaches valuing the Celtics winning. And if they played against Porzingis, knowing like how much he kind of changes the game for them on offense and putting him in. So I wouldn't be shocked if Porzingis got in. I also would not be shocked if he didn't, because there are like other front court players in the East who are more of a, focal point and like more quote unquote valuable to their teams that might just get the edge. And and, like, and again, like I wouldn't be totally bummed by that. Same with Derek White too. Like as much as he has had an amazing year, definitely his best year. And, and we all see the impact he has on a nightly basis. They're just guys who put up better numbers and like are more of the 
like metronome for their team. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but like, oh, I love that. Guys, I love that. Okay. I love that. That's, that's a drummer. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you. Okay. Well, yeah, guys like Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, and Valen Brunson, like they they decide how the team goes over the course of a game. And and Derek White is important to the Celtics, but he is not like the chooser of how games happen. And so, like, I think those three guys probably should make the All Star game over him. And that's that's not Derek White's slander. I I don't think you need. Hopefully that is a point that Celtics fans get to is and NBA fans in general is you don't need to make an all-star game to have like the national respect that you deserve because hopefully the people that watch the game just see it and appreciate it. And hopefully that's true with Derek White. Um, I would say Derek White's getting a lot of national love. Yes. I think it's been a a, a big, I mean, Boston, you know, media and fans have been pushing this, but I mean, JJ Redick, anytime he gets talks about how awesome Derek White is and, you know, throughout games on ESPN or TNT, if, if Derek White's having a great game, people are going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would even throw Tyrese Maxey in there. Like Maxey's oh, yes. and Derek yeah. White. Um, I think if you were to kick anybody off the list that you named, I just, I'm just not a Trey Young guy. Like I'm just not, I know he's having a great like offensive season. I just, I just think it's garbage. And it, you know, um, I value the other guys. I value Maxey way more than I value Trey Young. I value Donovan Mitchell. Way more than Trey Young. Jalen Brunson, I think, is a way bigger deal than Trey Young. Uh, you know, Halliburton is like the best guard of the planet right now. He is unbelievable. And Dame, yeah. like, I didn't love the Dame starting thing. I didn't. Still don't. I think that should have been, uh, in my opinion, Jalen Brunson, but like, you know, whatever. But yeah, I think there are way more deserving guards than him. Now, on the flip side with the front court stuff, with Randall getting hurt, that opens the door for Porzingis, I think. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I think like, I think it's possible that the Celtics could get three because Randall is just not going to play. Um, and that's a bummer for a Knicks team that's humming right now. I mean, really, they're hard. so fun. They yeah. are admittedly really fun to watch. I have, um, I'm going on, uh, not to brag, but I'm going on, <laughs> uh, off the pike with Brian Barrett later today. And one of the things that we're going to talk about. Um, is teams that you're afraid of and like Ooh. the the Knicks for the re- because they got OJ Ananobi and they have a guy that can guard Tatum and Brown that's mm-hmm. the one and then guess what they're physical as hell they are so physical and the question for me is do they get Mitch Robinson back in time I don't know I and mean, nobody seems to know the answer to that question yeah. but that's a team with their physicality um, that preaches physicality I mean you know Tibbs is an absolute psychopath Um and Brunson is just an unbelievable shot maker. Like you can play great defense on him and it doesn't matter. He's still going to hit a lot of good mm-hmm. shots. Like that's the team that I, I fear the most. But again, with Randall being out, that opens the door for the Celtics potentially to get three guys. Again, I think, I think Jalen's a lock at this point. If he doesn't make yeah, the sure. team, I think I'll, I think I'll riot. I think I'll probably not watch the game. Um, but Porzingis is the third guy. And after that, I think, I think we're, you know, you're trying to be greedy here. Like, like, Oh, you four all-stars. I'm like, no, you don't. You just need two two or three. It's fine. Who cares? Like, let's just rest up for the second half uh, and, and go from there. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you. And yeah, the Knicks, I initially, I I was pretty hard on the Knicks when they traded because I admittedly, I love Emmanuel quickly. And I think he's really, really good. Um, But yeah, OG has fit in super, super well. I love Isaiah Hartenstein too on the Knicks. Um, and in addition to Brunson, obviously, he's crazy. So yeah, they're they're going to be scary. But I agree. Like if Porzingis is the injury selection, that's that's great. And and you don't need five all stars to 
appreciate five really good players. So yeah, six. Really okay. And that, yeah. that's kind of where I want to end on because if you look at the C's rotation, eight guys, we all know who the eight guys are, which is great. And it makes everybody's life a lot easier. But the obvious weak point here is Pritchard. And that's if you're going to upgrade, that's the only spot I think you could possibly upgrade. I think Hauser is fine. People, mm-hmm. I think Hauser is fine on defense. He's a great shooter. He moves about the ball, I think, better than people. If you don't actually watch him, he moves about the ball really well. When he gets the ball, it's not like he doesn't know what to do. He does know what to do. He gets it off it quick. If he doesn't have the shot, he can mm-hmm. get a shot off pretty much at any time with any space. Like he's kind of the Duncan Robinson clone that they have. Um, so it's really on a Pritchard. And I think Pritchard is fine. Like, I think Pritchard is good. And when you really get down to it, Ethan, he's just not going to play that much That when it really matters, right? Like, when they shorten the rotation to six guys, because it's going to be six. It's going to be everybody in the starting line plus Horford. And maybe, maybe Hauser, right? I I could see Hauser getting in there, too. Yeah, Pritchard's just not going to play. So do you really need to upgrade that spot? If he's if that spot doesn't mean a lot when it really matters, right? Like, what's the value of trading Peyton Pritchard and some other pieces to marginally upgrade a spot that doesn't really matter when it comes down to it? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, it is because you told me that we we would talk about this, and so I thought about this for a while. And I don't. My answer with Pritchard being a playoff rotation player is, I just and this is kind of a, probably a lame answer, but. I don't know until we see it because we, one, we have seen Peyton Pritchard in the playoffs. And unfortunately we've seen him get picked on repeatedly, especially by the heat, but just any team that knows they can find him on a size mismatch um, or like going around screens. Uh, he, as much as he works really hard on defense, he just isn't like physically able to do a lot of what is asked of him in the playoffs. And in the past also, he's been primarily a shooter on offense and can't really pressure a defense in any way. I think this year, he has been by far, has by far been his best year as a playmaker, as someone who has been willing to pressure defense, even if it doesn't mean like driving all the way to the rim and getting a layup. Like the fact that he is attacking and kicking or attacking and shooting like a little mid-range jump shot, pull up, um, any of that is good and much better than what we've seen from Pritchard in the past, where it looks like he's totally been a deer in the headlights driving with the basketball. Um, so that plus the defense, I think, has taken a step up is good. And I think, again, like, I think he has earned through his play this season a chance to be a playoff rotation player. Uh, that being said, like, we could get there and it just might not work. And and I think that's okay. But then to your point about upgrading, I, I agree where it's like, I don't really know. Uh, and I haven't looked too in-depth at all the cap situations, but like, I don't think him and the other limited contracts, just with how much they're worth that you have, assuming your top six is basically off limits. Like, I don't really know what you're going to get out of an upgrade with Pritchard. Just one, literally because the salaries can't really stack up to getting some kind of high impact, additional sixth man type of player. But also like Pritchard is, I think on pretty good value for the contract that he signed and he does a pretty good job. Like you don't, you don't need to make a move just, just because you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't really know for sure if he's going to play because like you said, like, if he's the if he's the eighth man in your rotation, that's that shouldn't be what decides a playoff series is whether or not your your eighth man is like maximized as who he is. So yes, I'm 
I'm not worried. I'm I'm willing to go into the playoffs and like take a shot at what we have with Pritchard. No, I think it's it's like if you're complaining about your eighth guy, the eighth guy didn't sink you. It's yes, not, like, exactly somebody else. So yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. Again, if they like if they've somehow got Alex Caruso, then fine. Like, okay, sure, yeah. what up? Yeah, All but right. like I don't I don't know if that's even possible if you're again if you're assuming the top six is on untouchable. Yeah, yeah. So again, there's not too many places where they could do that. Like a you know, just bringing in John Conchar, like that's a whole different position. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I think, you know, you're going to have to ride and die with Pritchard, I think, as as you go. And I'm totally comfortable with it. Again, like you just said, if your eighth man costs you a title, that's not what costs you a title. So, yeah. You know, it should be fun. You know, Southwicks have, uh, you know, they've gotten through a tough part of their schedule. You know, I, it, I keep waiting for the like the the Philadelphia like whatever they had in the part of the year where they're playing like the Wizards and the Detroit Pistons every other day. It yeah. felt like first off, just so you guys know, that's never happening. I looked through this a while ago. They don't have a stretch like that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but they have some tough ones coming up. They have a bunch of games at home. The most important one being the Marcus Smart reunion game. We will have a show, I think, before that because um, that's on the that's on February fourth, a week from today. Uh, they have the they have the Pelicans, Pacers, Lakers, and and Grizzlies all coming up this week, all at home. So it should be fun. But uh, next time we see you, I think it will be before that Marcus Smart reunion game. Then after that, obviously get your your tissues ready because he's he's going to be in attendance for that game. Yeah, I think he's going to make it. I know he's not I playing, think, but I think he's going to be there. I I assume. Uh, I think he'll want to be there. Yeah. So bring your tissues, folks. It's going to be an emotional day because. Uh, you know, I was there for the the Pierce KG reunion game. That was a mess, man. Everybody was crying. It was, a, it was, a, it was the weirdest game I've ever been to in my life, too. Like we cheered, like everybody cheered for the other team when Pierce or Garnett took a shot. It was incredible. It was the weirdest time. But uh, this one's going to be real emotional because he's. I mean, again, I can remember where I was when they traded him. I was like literally in bed. And I woke up and I'm like, "What happened?" I'm like, "I have to go to work now. I don't want to do any of this. Like, I just don't want. Yep. <laughs> I need time. Yeah. I need I need time to get over what just happened." But uh, Ethan. Thank you so much for joining us here. First time ever on Celtics Beat. Won't be the last time, obviously. Uh, appreciate you for joining me here on the show. Do us, do me a favor. Just plug where everybody can find you, please. Yeah, all right. So um, as Evan said, I cover basketball at a lot of different levels for the globe, a lot of high schools and colleges. Um, but the Celtics stuff, you can find me on Twitter at ethman 43 So Ethan with a little M in the middle. Um, and yeah, you'll see a lot of my video threads and breakdowns there. I also... I'm, I'm a big stats guy and I try and use them in the right way because I know that there's usually a bad connotation with that. So you'll see me post stats and stuff every every so often. I want to try and get back into doing that more. Um, but yeah, rewatches I will do after almost any game that I have time. I probably won't do the Clippers one because we're talking about it right now. But um, yes, yeah, follow me on Twitter and that's, that's kind of pretty much it. All, all my Celtic stuff is usually there. Excellent. So for Ethan, for Adam, happy birthday, buddy. For myself, thank you all very much for joining us here on today's show. Today's show is powered by FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. Get 150 bucks in bonus bets. 150, no matter what happens when you play this $5 bet. Doesn't matter. You can win, you can lose. Doesn't matter. You get bonus bets right in your wallet as soon as you do it. So thank you to FanDuel as well. Make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify. Subscribe to CLNS Media on YouTube. We are literally everywhere. Promise you, you can't miss us. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Appreciate your time, Ethan. Have a great rest of your Sunday, sir. Thank you, you too.